Polly-Anne Martin was awarded the Order of Australia Medal this year in the Queen's Birthday Honour List, being recognised for her contribution to child safety. Holly-Ann Martin is the Founder Managing Director of Safe for Kids. For 35 years, she has developed resources and delivered programmes that are preventative measures to combat child sexual abuse through her company Safe for Kids. Since 2010, around 4,500 children, 1,000 teachers and educators and 1,000 parents each year have received her training. She has empowered children throughout the world and equipped parents and educators with the tools to help prevent child abuse, whether this abuse is through physical harm, cyberbullying or inappropriate content available on the internet. She has provided training in 84 remote Aboriginal communities around Australia and 40 childcare centres. Thank you for being here with us, Holly Ann. Um, can you please tell us about what the definition of child protection is? Well, the program that I teach is um, a child abuse prevention program, um, and it's designed to help adults empower children because unfortunately across the world um, one third of children will suffer some form of sexual abuse before their 18th birthday but that's the whole spectrum so that could be a child being exposed to at a bus stop kids seeing pornography right to the most heinous acts but when no matter what the act is it changes the child from that day so the program that I've developed is to help adults talk with children as young as three um, about simple things about, you know, nobody's allowed to touch your private parts and things like that. Um, and then, you know, I, I talk to six-year-olds about pornography and because there's so much of it on YouTube and things like that. Yes. So it's about empowering adults to empower children. Mm -hmm. um, protective behaviours... Um, was developed in the US back in the late 70s um, and came to Australia in the late 80s in the place of stranger danger because only um, about 10% of child sexual abuse is by a stranger. That's right. both contact and online. 90% is by somebody that's known to the child. So without frightening kids, we can empower them and, and give them language and, and show them strategies that, heaven forbid, should something happen to them, they'll know how to, um, you know, seek help and, and things like that. Fantastic. And how did you get involved in this? Can you give us a little bit of a history behind your company? Yeah, yeah. So um, ironically, back in um, 86, 87, I worked as a nanny um, when the America's Cup was here in Western Australia. Um, and I was a, a nanny for a French family who were tied up with the Louis Vuitton Cup, which is the mm -hmm. prelude to the America's Cup. Right. And um, after that, I started working at, um, as a teacher assistant at a special school. So we always knew our kids with special needs were up to seven times more likely to be abused than mainstream children. And then um, a few years later, I was introduced to a program called Protective Behaviours. Mm -hmm. And had been teaching it for 25 years. And then um, back in 2007, um, we have something called long service leave here in WA after you work for 15 years. Um, it's reduced now, but back in the day, it was 15 years. Um, you get three months paid leave. And I went up into some Aboriginal communities here in my state where some terrible things were happening. So 
um, in my leave, I went up there and volunteered and, and ran the program and then just saw a huge need for resources. So I quit my job, took a quarter of a million dollar loan out on my home to produce the resources. Well, um, I have written five children's books um, and I've been doing it full time ever since right across Australia. Um, I've got to travel to the US. Um, I've spoken about five conferences over in the US about our program. Um, but also in, um, I've taught in Mexico, Qatar, um, Indonesia, Cambodia, and the UK. Well, so all over the world, really. And can you tell us a little bit, I was very intrigued about the work that you do with the Aboriginal communities. How does that, is that different to what you would do outside of their communities? Um, well, um, to start with, I have to be invited into the communities. They're very, and because of the subject matter, of course, it's very, yes. um, it, they're a very patriarchal society. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's a taboo subject. So to be invited in is a huge honour. And I'll only go in if I've, I've been invited. But once I'm there, it has to be a whole of community approach. So I train the teachers in our program to continue once I've left. Uh, work with the children. I'm usually there for a week in each community. Um, but then I train police, health, childcare, all of the NGOs, and then run a women's workshop and a men's workshop. And I've been really lucky here in Australia to have run over 80 workshops with solely Aboriginal men talking about this, this subject, which is unheard of because um, you know, they don't, men or women don't normally talk about this, well, mm. sex or anything, any subject like this. It's quite separate. And lots of people say, you can't talk to the men about that. But the men love it. And they say, Holly, we like you because you tell us straight way. And they're our kids too. And we need to know this. Yes. Um, yeah. But I don't go in naming, blaming and shaming. I simply say, this is what I'm teaching your children. Thought you'd like to know about it. And because it's done with respect and, um, you know, not in a shaking your finger mm. sort of way, they want to be good dads. It's just nobody's thought to, to take the time to actually talk to them about this. And one of the um, things that I always end my talk with is how to receive a disclosure from children. Because, you know, if, if a child comes to you and says, oh, the boy next door touched me down there, and a parent goes, oh, Yes. They'll stop the child. So um, I explained to the men, you need to say, I'm glad you told me. I believe you. It's not your fault. And I'm going to do something about it. Those words need to come out of any adult's you know, um, mouth. But the, the men just sat there going, oh, my gosh, we hadn't realised. Because normally yeah. Aboriginal men would say, oh, if anybody hurt my kid, I'd kill them and all this yeah. sort of stuff. Yeah. And of course, Kids love their parents. And so because of the grooming process, they might be told, you know, we'll hurt your family and things like that. So we need to give adults the, the, the words to be able to say to children, but also teach children, no one's allowed to touch your private parts. It's imperative children know the correct anatomical names for their private parts because you won't get a disclosure without it. And people, they've done studies with perpetrators who say if a child's, you know, calling it a, you know, a fairy or a cookie or whatever, mm-hmm. they're more likely to go after a child like that. But culturally, um, Aboriginal kids, 
um, you know, would never use those words. But when I explain why it's important and also I explain that if you're talking sex education with kids, you have to separate boys and girls. But because it's done with a whole of community approach, um, I, the community say, no, the children need to be in the room together because the boys need to know about what the girls have heard and vice versa. Mm -hmm. So it's um, it's tricky but it's always been just so well received. Well, that's great because I'm sure eventually the Aboriginal children will, you know, leave their own communities at some point, won't they? And they'll go into other communities where maybe these things are a little bit more <laughs> prone to happen. Well, and <clears throat> because mobile coverage is, you know, all in all the communities, um, even very, very remote communities, um, you know, children are accessing porn and every child's on TikTok. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, there's, it's so complex. Um, but yes, they do go so for sports weekends and, and they go to major towns and, and things mm -hmm. like that. And back in the day, even before they all had mobile coverage, um, if they went to a major city like Alice Springs, for instance, quite a large town in, in the Central Desert, um, teenagers would download pornography on USB sticks and smuggle it back into um, the communities in their underpants um, and then break into the shop, not steal anything, but watch the pornography on the shop's computer. Right. So there's so many complexities. Yes. So you touched on something that I wanted to bring up. So if a child discloses something to an adult, you've said the four things that they, the adult should say, how else should an adult respond to a disclosure? What if a child says, I don't want you to tell anybody else? And obviously you can't not tell anybody else because something needs to be done about it. So how do you, how do you navigate all of that? Well, first of all, they have to stay calm. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, I, when is saying stay calm to anybody ever works? <laughs> That's why. <what laughs> yeah. Well, I, in my training, I give those four sentences. Just you need to know those by rote. So if you've got those four sentences, hopefully that can help you stay calm. Yes. But they mustn't ask any leading questions. If you ask who, what, when, where, you'll taint the evidence for police. Mm -hmm. So here in Australia, what I teach is that if a child comes to a parent or anybody, um, nanny, and says, you know, I've got to tell you something but you've got to promise not to tell what they I can't promise to keep that but with our program one of the things we've taught children is to listen to their body and we call them their early warning signs it's the physical reaction we get when we feel unsafe and I teach the children the thumb up for safe and the thumb down for unsafe so every time I say it automatically now I just <laughs> um but we teach children that if you get your early warning signs you have to tell somebody on your safety team and we help the children set up a safety team of five adults. Mm -hmm. So with children, I explain that if an adult gets their early warning signs, they have to tell somebody on their safety team. Mm. So in my program, I actually walk children through how to, to make a disclosure basically. And I say, if, if a child came to me and said, Holly, I've got an unsafe secret. I've got my early warning signs. If I'm in a school, who would I have to talk to? And they go, oh, the principal. 
And then if the principal had their early warning signs, who would they have to tell? Oh, the police. Mm -hmm. So I've already laid the foundation. So there's no surprises, but we cannot promise to keep the secret because um, keeping a secret, you know, well, we just can't because, well, here in Australia, we've got mantra reporting. I'm sure it's the same mm -hmm. yeah. around the world. Yeah. Um, but also, and people say, what if a child tell, tell you know, says they've got a secret, but if you, you'll tell somebody, they're not going to tell you. If a child comes to me and says, I've got an unsafe secret, I'm making the phone call anyway, even if they mm -hmm. don't tell me the secret because right. it's not my job. Mm -hmm. If I'm a child and I've suffered sexual abuse and I tell you, then it's your job to fix it. You've got to stop it from happening. But every time I tell my story, I'm reliving it. So we don't want children to tell everything. And so by saying I've got my early warning signs, we're actually stopping the child telling the whole disclosure because we want the whole disclosure on camera in front of police to get the best outcome for a child. So, but... Here in Australia, the legislation says you need to form a belief that something has happened. But you know what children are like? Sometimes they faff about and they'll just tell you a little bit and to see if you, you know, catch on to that. So if somebody couldn't put their hand on a Bible and swear, I, you know, that child definitely said that. If there's still something that you're not quite sure of, the only question I recommend people ask is, so tell me more about that. Because that is an open-ended question. Right. You can't get in trouble. You can't take the evidence. But, you know, if you say, oh, did you touch it down there or who was it or whatever, you can't do that. But just but tell, tell me more about that. And then the second you've got enough to know that something's happened, you don't want the child to tell you everything. Because if I tell you everything and then by the time I get in front of the camera, you know, I might have told you and then I had to tell this person and then I had to, we're not going to get the whole story. So it's it's really tricky, but, you know, if people follow these guidelines, it will make it so much easier. And I actually, um, I, I'll send you, I've got a poster with all this written down. If you want to put it in the show notes for people, it's a free yeah. um, print off. Great. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to share that with your listeners to see Thank if you. they, um, you know, want to print it off just so it's, you know. Fresh exactly. in your mind. Yeah, yeah. Because I think when you when you work with children at some point, the children you look after or the children you're close to are going to share things with you and you need to know how to how to respond. And obviously, the first thing one does is, oh, my God, what you know, how do I respond? What do I do? Who do I tell? And all these things are happening while you're trying to listen to what the child is telling you. So it's good to have those sentences to kind of ground you a bit. To be honest, you know, um, the nannies are more likely to be the people that children disclose to because those dear little people that they tuck into bed every night think they have to parent their parents. Mm. So children don't normally, in my experience, disclose to a parent. Um, they're more likely to a nanny, to a um, a friend's parent or their school teacher because they're that, that one step removed from yes. the, the person that loves them the most. And then perpetrators might be saying, you know, I'll hurt your family and, and things like that. So kids um, want to protect people. So, um, you know, the, the the nannies that hopefully will be listening to this um, are in a very special position where, you know, 
they're loved by the children, but it's, you know, it's then they're more likely to disclose to them. So it's sort of like a double-edged sword, really. Yep. And how can nannies or parents, grandparents, anybody who's around children help teach children how to feel safe? Um, to, to be modelling it, to be honest. You know, children, um, I've just been, I'm going to, Next week, I go out to three remote communities in the next two weeks, very remote communities. Um, and I've been, they want me also to talk about domestic violence. So I've been doing mm -hmm. some looking into that. And I found a really good video that talks about, you know, children are little sponges and they mirror everything that they see. So, you know, that's why we make funny faces with babies so that they, and then they mirror that sort of thing. So, you know, People need to model talking about their feelings. We need to give kids a feelings vocab. Um, for me, one of the most important feelings words for children is the word frustrated. So if if nannies and parents are seeing children, you know, having a meltdown, you know, model that back. So, oh, it looks to me like you're feeling frustrated. And, you know, to help them calm down. Um, you know, like I said before, just teaching them the thumb up for safe and the thumb down for unsafe. So if they're out in a park and something's happening, they can just simply do it really subtly <laughs> to, to the nanny or, you know, and they're, oh, okay, come in closer to me and, and things like that. Um, or if they're on the other side of the park and rather than yelling, get out, out of that tree and save your voice and just go like that really dramatically. Yes. Um, Modelling... Um, when I'm, especially when I'm teaching teachers, I'm saying to them, I need you to be modelling feelings vocab all of the time. Um, I do a lot of work for childcare centres here in Australia and educators say, Holly, you like a breath of fresh air because when we did our training, we were told we can't be negative with the children. So they say, eat your lunch or I'll be sad. Put the blocks away or I'll be sad. Do you know what? I'm not going to be sad. I'm going to be annoyed. Yeah. So parents and nannies and especially dads can be you know using their feelings words um to express themselves then children are gonna you know pick up on that why is it a two-year-old can say the f word in context mm -hmm. because they hear the f word in context yes and yet when i'm asking children and even you know 12 year olds to name me feelings happy sad angry and scared there's only four because they're not hearing those words so you know, it's, it's not confronting it, but if people could just be, oh, I'm so proud of the way you did that. I'm really annoyed. You know, I'm furious. Kids will, you know, model that. And then, like I said, they they mirror everything. So if we can be, you know, talking, and, and it's important that adults talk about um, bad things as well, because we don't live in a, you know, everything isn't rainbows and unicorns, but not to frighten the children, but I mean, one of the key messages that I want parents to teach children, so our program is based on two things. We all have the right to feel safe all of the time and we can talk to someone about anything and parents and nannies need to reinforce that with children. Nothing you'll ever tell me will stop me loving you. You can tell me anything. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, if if, if we, we have to do that too, not in a frightening way, but, you know, I'm really annoyed because this has happened and, and this is how we're going to deal with it. So we're not going to just put it all on the children right. because I know children nowadays, and especially after COVID, we have 
I just read a, a report yesterday actually about teenagers and anxiety and, and things like that. And, you know, even very young children are suffering with anxiety. But if parents can be, you know, yeah, we all have these situations, but, um, you know, we can we can deal with it together and, and have those clear messages. I heard this really, really gorgeous um, strategy, which I absolutely love. It's called the no trouble bubble. Mm -hmm. And basically you sit up with children that if a child comes home and says, you know, I was suspended at school today and the parent goes mad at the child, they're never going to come back and say, hey, I'm pregnant, I've got yes. a girl, pregnant, I'm on drugs or whatever. Um, so even from a very young age, if we, if a child calls a no trouble bubble, basically what happens is um, they get told that they're loved, they get an eight-second hug, it's not dealt with at the time, everybody gets a good night's sleep once people have calmed down and then it's dealt with the next day. Mm -hmm. And so it might be, you know, kids might have, there might be a special seat in the house and they'll go there and, and have these conversations on that seat. They know that's the no trouble bubble. Um, I mean, the parents not going to get a good night's sleep because they're going to be going, you know, say a child saw pornography and says, you know, I feel really bad. And, um, you know, when the parent goes, ah. <laughs> so, you know, that night they'll be Googling, what do I do if my kid sees pornography? But it just gives people that breathing space yes. and so that the child um, will know that they can tell them anything and that they they will always be loved. I think there's a, I mean, with my, with my charges, I've always had the, you know, you can say anything to me, you'll always be loved, it will never change, no matter what you say to me or what you've done, that will never change. And they knew they could just come and, and say whatever and know that although, you know, eventually I might say to them, look, I didn't appreciate what you did. And these are the reasons why at that moment in time when they were telling me, they wouldn't be getting an overreaction because I had promised them that whatever they told me wouldn't change our relationship. Perfect. I'm disappointed in your behavior, yes. but I still love you. It's yes. not the behavior. We're not condoning the behavior. Right. And there still needs to be, you know, okay, this is going of, to be the consequence. Yeah. yeah. But I still love you. Kids yeah. need to hear that a million times. But I but I feel that there's a big disconnect, like you said, between people talking about emotions and the actual emotions that we all experience. For me, it, it's normal to explain to children that we all have emotions. You know, we all get cross, we all get upset, we all are sad, we're all irritated, we're all annoyed, we're all frustrated. So if we all have these feelings, why can't we sh show children or tell children, you know, I'm really upset today because, and obviously you give it to them in child chunks so they understand the reason why you're annoyed but without knowing all the details. And then they can watch you work through your emotions so that then they can, you know, do the same when they feel that same emotion as you. And I just don't understand why it's so, it's like it's so hard for people to understand. Like, I mean, I've, wor I've worked for families where the parents didn't show any emotions to children because they don't need to know how I'm feeling. But actually they do. 
because when they you know when they have that same emotion as you they won't know what to do with it and then you'll have that's what i said about the mirroring if they don't see it then they can't name it um and you know one of the big things um there's a a fantastic guy talks about addiction and, and childhood trauma and all of this sort of stuff his big thing is connections sharing stories especially about the olden days kids yes. love hearing about the olden yes. days but yet parents don't you know talk about that sort of stuff with their children um when they they need to have it modeled for them and you know it's so important but it's the behavior it's okay like, you know we don't get angry why not what it's okay it? to be angry it's not okay to be hitting somebody when you're angry mm-hmm. it's the behavior that goes along with the emotion that causes the trouble but all feelings are perfect yeah. and we need to really get that across to people that, and like I said, keep modelling it all the time. I found in the shade on the ground.